It's time to make the dough rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe. Well, hey there. Welcome to another edition of Make the Dough Rise. Walter Storholt here alongside Brian Doe, certified financial planner professional at Living Worth Wealth Advisors, serving you throughout the Lake Country and beyond with an office in Greensboro, Georgia. Find us online at livingworth.com. And let me tell you, folks, Brian's fired up today. Uh, we are recording today's episode on the last day of September to give you some context. And uh, there's all sorts of stuff in the news about what's happening with the uh, the tax discussions and Congress. And it just got Brian all fired up. I can't wait for today's episode. What's up, Brian? <laughs> uh, well, uh, good news. We're recording this a little bit ahead of time because I've got good stuff happening. I'm hitting a major, major milestone. We've got a 20-year anniversary coming up, so I'll be fantastic out of pocket a little bit at the end of uh, next month because we're taking a little actual, well-deserved 20-year uh, anniversary trip. Very cool. Yeah, most people are probably listening to this episode mid to late October, uh, our scheduled release date from time of recording. So yeah, we're a little more in advance than we usually are with these episodes, but where are you guys going for to celebrate 20 years? Well, we had talked about – the original plan was to go down to Turks and Caicos, which is down in the Bahamas, one of our favorite places. But because of all the COVID and travel and you know, leaving the country issues, we've decided to play it safe, and we're actually going to head back to southern Utah. And uh, it's just Laura and I. We're going to do some horseback riding, hiking, uh, go see some of the you know major sites out there and maybe – uh, coming to go in out of Las Vegas, there's probably some good restaurants and stuff that we can hit. So we'll we'll, we'll salvage a very nice trip out of this. Must be a nice location. You can dabble a little bit in city life in Vegas, but then pop right back kind of into the the, the wild west of uh, Utah. Yeah, and and you've got all the you know the major parks and um, can you know canyons and and any type of uh, terrain and and activity as long as you like the outdoors. Uh, and, and doing stuff. And we, we like horseback riding. Uh, we may do a little bit of Jeep excursions or some of those souped up dune buggies or razors that they have, the side-by-sides. I don't know if Laura's up for that part, but I, I like that. And then uh, she's big into to hiking and, and sightseeing. So we may do Angel's Landing in Zion. And then I think we're going to take a little helicopter tour into the Grand Canyon. Ooh. So the, Laura would hike to the bottom of the Grand Canyon because she's you know, she's fit and loves to work out. Um, I would love to get to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, but I don't know that I want to come go all the way down and back out. Right. And I do have some clients out there that have recently done this, so uh, they're, they're probably going to call me a wimp. But um, we're, we're going to helicopter in and back out and do, do the quick version. That is very cool. My cousin did that many years ago, not the helicopter, but they also didn't walk. They did uh, donkeys, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did the donkey thing. So a little bit faster than just walking, a little easier than being by yourself. But still, he said it was kind of like a little bit scary, like being on the ledges with those donkeys. It just yeah, feels like, I oh, my imagine. God, we could just go spilling over the edge so easily. But mm-hmm. they, he said it was a pretty amazing experience. I think they camped overnight in the bottom and then came back up the next day or something like that. So, yeah. And, and cool. as far as Vegas, I'm, I'm, I'm not into the, the gambling and the you know, that, that part of it. But the, the food and the shows, I mean, as far as a, a good place to launch from, I think it'll be great. 
Very cool. Well, uh, uh, good luck on your trips and uh, enjoy it very much. And congratulations on the uh, anniversary. Fantastic news there. Thank you. Uh, Well, let's dive into the meat and potatoes of today's show. We are continuing our series on the top retirement mistakes that people make. And this is part three of our series. And we're talking about portfolios on today's show. And Boy, there's this issue that I think you face all the time, Brian, when you analyze people's situations where you see that they have the right stuff sometimes, Mm -hmm. but maybe it's just not in the right place. Yeah, very true, because uh, it's very easy when you're in accumulation mode. Maybe you're stashing money into 401ks or some brokerage account, savings account. You put stuff where you can a lot of times or where you're allowed because of funding limitations or you keep it where you might need to get at it in, in the case of cash or savings and things like that. So what what works for flexibility and, and funding and, and maybe out of necessity when you're accumulating, you can put yourself into a position where you are adversely impacting your net return because of taxes by having, maybe you have the right stuff, but but just not in the right place. And the the tax issue is really, uh, I mean, it just continues to hit my radar harder and harder because right now, one of the big tweets out of, you know, Washington's, uh, Joe Joe Biden specifically, and I don't want to get political about this, but I just want to, I want you to think about the wording of what's coming out of lawmakers and and politicians' mouth. His quote says, my Build Back Better agenda costs zero dollars. Hmm. I, I mean- That sounds too good to be true there, Brian. Truly, if it's zero dollars, well, hey, then, you know, have at it, you know, go for it, you know, do it. And But the reality is it, it costs three and a half trillion dollars. And you know, if they estimated that, that's it's going to be more than that. But, but to tell us that it costs zero dollars, either they're incredibly stupid or they think we're incredibly stupid. I, I just can't fathom that they would not, like, like they're not even out making a good case that says, hey, we've got some aging infrastructure. We need to put you know some resources here. This is going to make us more efficient. This is going to make us more competitive. It's just a three and a half trillion dollar boondoggle as far as I, I can tell. And somebody was holding up the stack of how many thousands of pages the legislation is, but they had done the math and each page of this law was going to cost something like $1.4 billion or $1.8 billion per page. Uh, So it's hard to imagine a document that manages to spend almost $2 billion per page. Yeah, I I don't like that uh, that breakdown, the per page breakdown. That's a little uh, unnerving, Brian. Yeah. So, <laughs> and and then and, and the last uh, jag on this is one of their their sources of funding that cracks me up the most is they have some unused funds taken from the uh, previous coronavirus bill. So they they passed all this emergency funding during the coronavirus and, and COVID pandemic, which they they needed to create some money to inject into the system uh, to keep things running. And so because they passed it and and allocated this money, I guess they, they think it actually exists. And so they're taking the unused money from from this uh, other you know, trillion dollar if it was it was called a trillion dollar bailout if they if they only spent 800 billion, 
they literally think they have $200 billion left over when it, when it was really just emergency money uh, created. So, so this kind of thinking, it, it's not new. We, we've done this in the past, you know, use it or lose it type of mentality on, on, on funding when they get these things passed. It's sort of a bizarre world for budgeting. But the reality is, is this is all going to get paid for by you through increased taxes, inflation, and stepped up enforcement uh, by the IRS. This is uh, going to be interesting to see it uh, play out over the next couple of weeks and uh, next month or two. So what are the implications for folks and how does this tie into having the right stuff not in the right place and getting all that sorted out within a portfolio? Yeah, so maybe I'm, I'm getting a little re- too revved up here because of the headlines of the day, but the logic is still the same. So whether taxes increase, uh, they change capital gains rates, they make uh, you know, Social Security more taxable, if they you know, do away with the stepped-up basis, they're, they're even talking about taxing unrealized capital gains, which, uh, you know, of course, that's, it's only for the billionaires at first. But then those things always have a way of, of creeping down. You know, capital gains could go higher for only for people who have more than a million dollars worth of income. Again, that can creep down. We're not going to tax anybody below $400,000 of income. Yeah, but that'll that'll creep its way down too. So they always start with these high numbers because there's a behavioral finance concept called anchoring. And if you throw out a ridiculous number, it sort of anchors people's thinking. In negotiation, you would do it by either starting out with a ridiculously high or ask or a ridiculously low offer. And that, that sort of changes the context of the, the conversation going forward. And so if they say we're only going to go after billionaires or million plus incomes or 400,000 plus incomes, most people are like, yeah, that's uh, not me. That's okay. Yeah, go, go, go tax those people. That's fine. But then as they get these things into place, the funding has to continue once these, these things get started. Uh, they have a way of creeping down. To catching everybody. So if you don't have your portfolio uh, structured correctly, you could get caught in the crosswinds and, and have you know more taken uh, in, in the form of taxes. So let, let, me, let me start at the basics then. So you've got the very obvious portfolio building blocks of stocks, bonds, cash, real estate, or REITs, master limited partnerships, preferred stocks, you know, that, that, catches most categories. There, there's some hedge funds and things like that, but they, they would have some combination of these types of returns in them. And there are two assets that are favorable for tax treatments. And the first one is stocks, and it produces two things, dividends and long-term capital gains or losses. If you want to maximize your return, getting those types of returns, dividends, or long-term capital gains in your brokerage account is going to be more tax efficient. Also, if for some reason you occasionally we have a bad investment, not, not all of them work out. And if you have a loss, well, then you can realize that loss in a brokerage account and write that off either against gains or income over some time. So very clearly right out of the gate, you know, stocks are, are probably one of the best types of uh, returns for tax-efficient gains and and, uh, dividends. And then the the second one is bonds, but we have to break bonds into two categories. You've got regular corporate bonds, which pay taxable interest, 
But then you've got municipal bonds, which are you know tax preferred. You don't pay federal tax, and and if if it's the same state, you don't pay state tax on the municipal bond. So on the tax efficient category, we've only got a couple of options: stocks and municipal bonds. All right. So then if we look at assets that are unfavorably treated for tax purposes, you've actually got cash because the interest that you, the little bit of interest that we're receiving these days is actually taxed as ordinary income, regular corporate bonds, real estate investment trust, master limited partnerships, preferred stocks. And, and you could technically end up with some uh, capital gains on those, but, or, or if you have short-term capital gains, I'll, I'll pull stocks back in here just a little bit. I don't have a lot of that because I tend to do longer term buy and hold strategies. Uh, but any, a short term capital gain is taxed as ordinary income. So you can see a lot of the assets that we have or the tools that we have for generating retirement income, the bulk of them are treated unfavorably for tax purposes. So immediately, if you if you break these two categories down and, and just you know, let, let, let's set them in, the, in in two sides. One's favorable, one's un, unfavorable tax treatment. Now, if you want to think about the tax implications a little bit more, think about wages, right? When you when you're working and and earning, all of that income is taxed on the regular income tax rates. Plus, you've got all the FICA and Medicare taxes uh, coming out as well. So, wait, wages are the worst. So now, moving into retirement. Well, you've got the opportunity to get dividends and, and gains and, and interest without FICA and Medicare taxes coming out of there, and the regular payroll taxes. But um, again, the, the unfavorable assets are a lot like wages in that they're taxed as ordinary income. The stocks, the preferential dividends, the long-term capital gains, they're treated more favorably, and that's that's today. <laughs> this could all all change very very rapidly, but the, we've had these these current rules uh, for some time, and you're in control of when you realize capital gains if you hold stocks in your brokerage account. So there's there's the way of thinking about it. You've got a more more tax tax efficient one that's treated more like wages, one that has its own own set of rules and rates. So well, a lot of moving parts to try and keep up with. I can imagine an individual trying to do this on their own. It can just be a bit overwhelming uh, when you have all this stuff happening in the news of potential tax increases to potential spending, trying to figure all this out. And, and yeah, you, you might feel like you have the right stuff, but I guess I can see the concept of how you're, you cannot be sure that it's all in the right place and doing the right thing for you. No, I, I think most people don't even think about this because they've bought mutual funds. They, you know, have a limited selection uh, potentially in, in employer plans. They may have a balanced portfolio, a model portfolio, a robo uh, automatic portfolio. We can talk about things that I've actually seen, but you know, again, for the most part, people aren't even aware of or haven't done this calculation, like just, just getting the right investments and the right contributions and trying to, a lot of people are trying to hit a dollar amount. Like they, if I have a million or 2 million or uh, 5 million is my number, whatever it is, they think that if they hit that number, that's a, a normal distribution rate. Yeah, that's going to generate a certain amount of income, but nobody really crosses the threshold of saying, well, how much of that do I get to keep? 
right? I mean, it's it, it's the bigger the number seems like the better, but actually, uh, when when you start looking at withdrawals from IRAs, mandatory distributions, we've we've talked about those in the. I'm not trying not going to try and not get into all those other tangents that we've talked about, but but the reality is most most people haven't thought about this, and or had the ability to significantly control it. So the the real opportunity going into retirement is, hey, let's let's actually sit down and map out what we need to own. You know, what is your asset allocation? What's your risk? How much do you want for an emergency fund? How much cash on hand? You do that same exercise. But now if you can divide that into these different tax structures, and you've got three, right? The big three are regular brokerage accounts. So this is your it could technically be your your checking and savings accounts, but also your your stock trading uh, accounts, IRAs, which you know, which includes four hundred one ks, four hundred three bs, four fifty sevens, all all the different you know qualified retirement plans, and then Roth, which is you know the really good one with uh, you know, it, it being tax free, and technically you could throw cash value life insurance in here, but that that, that we're not going to talk about that right now because that's so just think of it as, as brokerage, qualified retirement accounts, Roth. Well, the rule of thumb for Roth IRAs, as much as possible, the bigger, the better. If you can get your gains in there, your growth in there, you want the Roth to, to be set to you know, grow as, as big as possible. And you've got you know, fairly limited funding options there, although they are improving as far as being available in uh, 401k plans. But there's also some talk about eliminating some of these things like the backdoor Roth, Roth conversions. I, I've seen some scary uh, ideas there that may close down the window for, for people to, to, to be able to do some of the Roth conversions uh, that we've talked about. Again, lots of stuff proposed, nothing passed yet, but I, I just, I get a little frightened when I see, I see what uh, is being talked about. All right, so Roth growth assets, stocks, long-term, get your most aggressively growing investments in there and, and, and let that grow as much as possible. Not too concerned about whether we have dividends, taxable dividends, long-term capital gains, short-term capital gains. That all gets washed away by the wrapper of the Roth. And I think that's enough about Roths. So now let's look at the IRAs and brokerage accounts. IRAs, your traditional IRA, the account that most people have the most money in is actually the worst place for large balances because that's going to be generating the most income. There's mandatory distributions uh, kicking in at age 72 for non-spouse heirs inheriting those. They, they've got to take distributions over 10 years. They've done a lot of things to take the fun out of IRAs the past couple of years. And so I actually encourage people to not focus on growth in their IRAs. Let those be your safe assets, your uh, taxable bonds, your cash. You know, put the things that generate good, consistent income and would already be taxed as ordinary income in your IRAs. We're, we're not really trying to hit home runs. Don't, don't go buy your uh, super growth stocks in IRAs. And, and I understand some people that that's the only account they have. And, and if they wanted to buy Amazon a few years ago, or they bought some Apple stock and it, it's done really well, that's great. And uh, certainly better to have a large IRA balance than, than not. 
But if you had the choice, uh, I would definitely favor then the the regular brokerage accounts. You know, it, the Roth to the extent that you can get it, and then regular uh, brokerage accounts. So, so now let me um, talk about one of the most common and mind-bending asset location discussions I have tried to have with with several clients, and, and I always have difficulty explaining this, but I, I want to talk about it because this is something that costs people a lot in opportunity cost, actual you know interest earned if if you, if you were getting much on cash. But I see a lot of people come in and they have a checking account and or a savings account at a bank. And they may have fifty, hundred, two hundred thousand dollars stashed away as an emergency fund. And that's that's great. You absolutely, you know, should have some sort of an emergency fund that makes you comfortable that you've got the reserves on hand. But if you sit on that in a checking or savings account, right? Like I said, the interest, the little bit of interest that you earned also gets taxed as ordinary income. And you're missing out on the opportunity to put that money into an asset that might produce a preferential dividend or a good long-term gain, long-term capital gain. Meanwhile, they're sitting on a, you know, growth fund or a balanced stock and bond fund in their IRA. Okay. So I can see and understand why that structure exists, because if you need the emergency fund, if you need the cash, well, the, the savings account, the checking account, that's where you can get at it. But by the time people get to retirement, the kids are gone, the, you, you've got a couple you know, maybe a car or two, you, you, you kind of know what the life cycle of your car is going to be. Uh, you know, a lot of people move and, and you know, maybe build a new house. So you're not going to need a new roof or something. Uh, air conditioner hopefully doesn't go out on you right away. So, so the things that you might need an emergency fund for could be down the road. Sitting on a very large emergency fund in your savings account may be, you know, giving you a big opportunity cost or generating a big opportunity cost. So what I tell people to do is keep enough cash in your savings, in your checking account for the real emergencies that you might have over the next, I don't know, what, 18 months to 36 months. You know, I think I think you could probably anticipate, well, my car is getting a little bit old. I, mean, I might need a, you know, the air conditioner, roofs, uh, Medical emergencies, natural disasters, those are a little harder to, to predict. But if, if, if something like that happened, maybe instead of $200,000 in a savings account, maybe twenty-five to fifty would get the job done. So what I tell people to do is hold, right? If you look at, let's, let's back up again. Let's, let's look at your whole portfolio. We've decided that you want 60% stocks, 30% bonds and, and REITs and 10% cash. If you can hold that cash in your IRA, traditional retirement account, you have cash that's now earning a dividend that is remaining in a tax-deferred account. And so you can take that money that's in that savings account and now invest it for long-term growth. So, so where people get confused is they think I'm, I'm advocating that you can take this money out of your savings account and go put it in your IRA, right? Does that 
Maybe even what you're thinking, Walter. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm tracking. Okay. So, if, well, you can't do that. You can't just take $200,000 and go deposit it in an IRA, but you can buy things in your brokerage account and sell things in your IRA so that you're holding the same amount of cash. You're just doing it in these two different accounts. And that one move gives you the same asset allocation, but a different asset location. And that location variable, a little bit abstract maybe, a little bit hard to understand, but that right there could make a huge difference in your net take out of your retirement account, savings, after tax wise, and, and, and it can add up to, to a big difference. But people say, well, well, how do I get that money out, right? So if, if now, if, now if my emergency fund is in my IRA and I need it, how do I, I get it out? Well, you, you could withdraw it from your IRA, but you want to be careful about, you know, not pushing yourself up into a higher tax bracket. Uh, maybe you're not in required minimum distribution age and we, you're doing other things to, to, to realize some income or activated social security. You don't need the income. Well, what you do is you can now make transactions in the brokerage account, right? So I have an emergency. Well, I'm going to go sell some of this stock that has appreciated. I'm going to go sell some of the long-term, you know, realize some of the long-term capital gains I've had since I originally put this together. And then you can buy, you can use that cash to buy something else in your IRA. So it's not by moving, you, you, because you can't really easily move money back and forth between these account types. You use the transactions, the buys and the sells to add stocks or cash, you know, increase or decrease cash and, and equity exposures between the two accounts. And typically when I get done trying to explain this, everybody's a little glazed over and, and still there's a psychological aspect to, yeah, but my, you know, I've got this money in my savings account and I can get at it. And, and there, there's, there's just a mental block sometimes to doing this because you've just, you've got habits, you've always done it this way. Uh, it makes more sense a certain way. But if you will stop, take a little bit of time, back away from this and look at the timing, uh, the tax treatment, see how all these things intersect, you can actually end up with a significantly better net return by making you know some of these strategic moves with the with between the different assets and the different account types that you've got. Interesting to look at all these different moving pieces, Brian, and just what we've got kind of to <laughs> look forward to over these next couple of months to try and solve some of these problems of getting things in the right place and just what might be changing around us and all the discussions that are going to happen out of this. And I know it's going to keep a lot of people's heads on a swivel but that you'll be there to kind of help, uh, you know, guide us throughout the way. And if anybody has questions, I mean, these are the kinds of things that you're talking about in your office with new clients and then certainly with, uh, you know, prior clients and continuing clients. These are the kinds of things that you're keeping them abreast on and, and talking about consistently, right? Yeah, if you map out a good income plan, and no, I talk about this with everybody all the time because it's it's a hard concept to, to understand. So if, if you're scratching your head or if, or if that all just sounded like a, a blur, you're not alone. This I have presented this very topic to a group of CFPs and had 
you know, half of the, the, the crowd be like, oh, it was sort of an eye opener. Like the, even even some of the best trained people out there haven't really digested and, and grasped this. And I can assure you, your bank brokers and a lot, a lot of the retail brokers, they're, they're not doing this level uh, of analysis and, and strategizing um, for the most part. And I'm not saying nobody's doing it, but for the most part, this is a missed concept. And once people get comfortable with the implementation of it or know that they're confident in being able to delegate the implementation of it, uh, after you do a couple of years of tax returns, I've had people be like, oh, yeah, yeah, look, our, our tax bill has gone down. And, oh, we are getting now the, the right kinds of dividends. We're, we're getting preferential dividends here, not taxable and, and ordinary interest. And so sometimes it can take a couple of, you know, two or three, four years, and some going back and saying, hey, here's where you started. Now here's where you are. And then seeing the difference, even if they don't understand the mechanics, if you don't understand the all the tax laws and, and the intricacies, we can make this real. We can make this uh, demonstrable by sitting down with what you started with. And then uh, you can't make these changes instantly. Uh, a lot of times it, it's maybe a gradual process, may, may, may take some, some time to, to fully get to the optimal spot. But man, you, when you see savings of thousands of dollars on your tax returns compared to what you were doing without this type of analysis, uh, that's where it hits home. Well, if you need any assistance talking these things out with Brian or going over your financial plan, you know, a lot of this kind of conversation, maybe not, uh, you know, specifically on what Congress is doing today, but the general concepts that we talk about on the show each week uh, are covered in the 401k trap. This is something that Brian has put together. If you have an IRA, 401k, 403b, SCP, you know, set plan, 457, or any other combination of letters and numbers, this is going to be (laughs) the guide for you. Uh, You can request a copy, and it's a complimentary copy of the 401k audit as well to make sure that your contributions are optimized for a tax-efficient retirement, and download your free copy of the 401k trap, a great report, a great guide all at retirementrescue.net, or just check the link in the description of today's show uh, to access that very easily. Check it out and look for it, the 401k trap. It reinforces a lot of things that we talk about here on the show. And of course, if you have any questions for Brian, you can always reach out to us in various ways uh, on retirementrescue.net or by calling 706-451-9800. That's 706-451-9800. And Brian, on the next episode, we're going to continue our conversation about the top retirement mistakes. Part four will be on the docket. We'll be talking about how it's not really your future in some cases and that you're kind of reaching other people's goals in your retirement plan. This should be a little bit of a kind of an introspective episode, I would think. Yeah, I've made some mistakes myself in the past and uh, getting clear on what you actually want can make a big difference uh, in, in not chasing what uh, other people may think or or what other people traditionally think is their ideal goal or or definition of retirement. And uh, yeah, I've got a couple, couple other things there too. It's a good thing to look out for others, but sometimes we've got to put on that own oxygen mask before we can help others around us, right? Exactly. Okay. Well, that'd be a great conversation. That'll be next time right back here on the Make the Dough Rise podcast. Brian, thanks for the help today. Uh, Happy upcoming anniversary to you as well. And uh, we'll look forward to a trip report maybe when uh, when we get back to the next episode. There you go. Well, well, maybe I'll have some photos put up for the uh, the link. That'd be great. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) 
Well, for Brian, I'm Walter. We'll talk to you next time right back here on Make the Dough Rise. Thanks for listening. Make the Dough Rise is brought to you by Living Worth Wealth Advisors with a central office in Greensboro, Georgia, but serving the Lake Country and beyond. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcasting apps. Subscribe today and never miss an episode. Just search for Make the Dough Rise with Brian Doe. You can also visit MakeTheDoughRise.com to listen to recent episodes. If you'd like to contact the show or schedule a complimentary financial review with Brian and the team, just go to MakeTheDoughRise.com and get in touch through the website. Or call 706-451-9800. Thanks for listening to Make the Dough Rise. Investment advisory services offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.